Alrighty, folks, thanks for tuning in. Decentralized Radio on Twitter Spaces. Today we are live with OG Bitcoiner Mandrick, and Ryan is here as well. And we're kind of going to go over Bitcoin, how it's changed over the past decade and what's to come, and Mandrick's epic backstory, which some people may be familiar with, our audience maybe not so much. So, Mandrick, how you doing? Hey, what's going on, man? Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Yeah, we've connected kind of here and there over the past couple of years, and I definitely always want to talk to you, always want to get your insight. I feel like you have such a good perspective on how the space has evolved, and you know the bullishness has never been stronger. And right now, we're at definitely an inflection point, so it'll be really great to get you know your, your opinion on things. But let's start from the beginning, the epic baklava for bitcoin story let's uh let's let's start there yeah so i mean really with uh with bitcoin for me i got in in 2011 and uh i think a large part of that is because i was already i already had like the ideas of freedom pretty solid in my head right like i was big in ron paul during 2007 2008 when he ran for president so like you know i kind of was already like small government kind of person and then from there it's just like not that big of a step to go to just full ANCAP, right? <laughs> More like voluntary interaction, stuff like that. Uh, and that's all good and well, but like, I, I, I don't really, I like, sometimes it's fun to sit around and talk philosophies and whatever, but I get sick of that shit pretty quick. I like seeing things in action. Um, so to me, like, I always like agorism, which is like a form of like gray market activity. You know, doing things like I was selling baklava, right? So, I wasn't. Do- I was doing it without permission. I didn't have any licenses or anything. I wasn't running an inspected bakery or whatever. It was just cooking out of my house, you know, like how people did it throughout all of time, but more or less. And uh, I was selling that, and I uh, was advertising on like a Liberty um, podcast, Liberty theme podcast. And uh, some some guy named Roger Veer heard the ad, and he was like, "Hey, you want to take Bitcoin for your baklava?" So I was like, "Sure." I already was familiar with Bitcoin. I watched it rise from like a buck to like $30 over the summer of 2011 and then crash. And I kind of just figured it was dead. Right. Cause it sounded like a weird scam to me, like as, as it should the first time you hear about it. Uh, but I, at that point it was like closer to the end of 2011. And I was just like, yeah, what the hell? I'll, I'll play around with this. It's still around. Let's, let's see what this is all about. So yeah, he paid me 14 Bitcoin for Panabuclava. And then I immediately found the best use for it. Uh, I went on seals with clubs, which is a Bitcoin only poker room. And I spent all this Bitcoin uh, on poker. It was, it was great. Did you win anything in the poker or games, or did you kind uh, of lose it all? Gambling? You know, I think I was. I, I played on Seals of Clubs off and on for a while. I really liked it. It was a really cool website, and it was just like Bitcoin only poker room. This is so awesome. Um, so as much as I played it, you know, I lost some. I won some here and there. I probably broke even, which for me in poker that's pretty good. Like I love playing poker. It's a lot of fun. And I played on seals heavily for a few months uh, to help pay bills and stuff. But uh, I, I, yeah, That's it was probably hilarious. it was probably like a break-even <laughs> kind of thing. I probably didn't really make much. Maybe a tiny bit positive, but doubtful. So you sold so you sold the the baklava for Bitcoin, and then were you kind of like, okay, maybe I should and I started using it for poker, and then do you start just diving deeper and deeper? Yeah, I there? mean, it's one of those things where it's. <sighs> It's fun. It's it's exciting, right? But I was also into like I was into any kind of alternative currency. I was living in New Hampshire as part of the Free State Project, so plenty of people up there who were like, "Hey, we'll pay you in gold or silver for you know goods or services." So I was also selling, you know, I was cleaning homes and I was uh, selling food and cooking at like little gatherings or even um, like Pork Fest, which is a big gathering in the summer up in the White Mountains. Um, and I'd, I'd accept like I'd accept gold, silver, and accept started accepting bitcoin because it's like oh cool why not you know it's not dollars and it seems pretty useful uh but the more i use bitcoin the more i realized uh yeah this is way better than gold and silver <laughs> like gold and silver really sucks as money uh i would have people who would i'd be at this week-long festival and people would be like yeah i want to buy you some food here's a tenth of an ounce of gold and it's like okay i'm just going to give you a basically like a coupon that's like hey this is worth 100 bucks or whatever 130 something dollars at our food stand and you know we'll just use it like a gift card because i how else what are you gonna do break change for a tenth of gold it's pretty annoying 
yeah that's like the real world utility right there especially early on and and anyone listening in we're gonna we're gonna do a podcast manager gonna have questions at the end so if you have questions you can request the mic uh, at the top of the hour or reply to the tweet but yeah i mean that's what's funny and i feel like a lot of the gold bugs don't don't realize that until it comes down to actual utility but but how was transacting with bitcoin back then uh, was it a lot more clunky than it is now or you know, wallets and just the way you transact must have been a completely different uh, environment. You know, the, my first transactions, weirdly enough, were after Roger sent me Bitcoin for uh, for that for that first Panabaklava, he was also sending a bunch of Casatius rounds, like literally rolls of them up to uh, the Free Talk Live studio, which is like a podcast out of Keene, New Hampshire. And he, so he had all these rolls of Casatius rounds. So all these free staters are getting free Bitcoins, right? And they're worth about f- five bucks each at the time. Um, and they were just handing them out. So actually, a lot of my business early on was just physical bitcoins. Kind of, kind of neat. Like it was a really cool introductory way for people to grasp Bitcoin because, like, there was there was what are you gonna do? Like, how are you gonna learn about it? You couldn't just pick up the Bitcoin standard, right? There was no book written about that explains all the things about Bitcoin. And it's like, okay, who are you gonna talk to about it? Super duper nerds on Bitcoin talk, or like more autistic nerds on in New Hampshire that you know were just figuring it out. Like there wasn't. There weren't many resources. A, a lot of books that people would recommend to read were fiction books, you know, like that like they had kind of concepts similar to what Bitcoin would be. But there was no there was no like, hey, go here, read this. This is really a simple way to ex- that explains Bitcoin. That, that took a while, I think, to really get shape out. But uh, yeah. It's yeah. And it's I mean, it's a lot to take on at once. Like, <laughs> I mean, even for me, like trying to convince my parents and other people like you realize how how kind of terrible the conversion rate is for convincing people about bitcoin because it's a lot for them to kind of undertake and they almost have to come to their senses like on their own so maybe that's a question for 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 you yeah like how you you discover this you're already prime for it you know being into you know small government ron paul like all these things How did you try and get other people on board in the very beginning? Well, I mean, in the very beginning, it wasn't that hard because people I was talking to were, for the most part, they were free staters living in New Hampshire. Um, and a lot of us are, we're, you know, we're pretty nerdy and we like computers and stuff like that. So uh, the people there were already familiar, with, were already pretty tech savvy. So Bitcoin wasn't that, wasn't that hard to grasp, you know, like. Once they kind of saw it in action a bit, there's a lot of skepticism at first, as it should be. Like, I was skeptical for a long time, too, like in 2011. Uh, and, and, you know, libertarians and ANCAPs, they're going to be pretty damn skeptical of anything. They're going to be like, what is this, was this a hack? Is this some NSA thing? Blah, blah, blah. All the typical kind of thoughts. And then once you get over that and you use it a bit, uh, it just seemed like, well, this is just better money. Uh, and what was cool about back then, too, was it was just the thing to, we were just looking to use as as like currency for like, peer-to-peer transactions without you know using fiat currency that, that idea itself was really cool so if it stayed at five dollars forever i feel like we would have been okay with that like it wasn't there wasn't anybody who was like i never i don't remember anybody being like oh i can't wait to make all this money off of it like at least not that first year i, I was in it like 2011 2012 i mean there was always i guess there were some people but like for them like they were thinking like years and years down the road right like decades uh, the way things blew up was much faster than any of us could have ever really imagined. But I mean, that's how exponential growth works. Yeah. And well, I guess that's kind of, that was going to lead into my next question is what was the perception like long-term? Like, did you guys, you guys were just kind of like, well, whatever happens, like this is just a cool use case, like peer to peer money. Like we're outside the system and um, you know, how Finney had those early thought experiments, but you guys didn't pay too much value to that and, and thinking that this really could like, you know, uproot into a trillion trillion dollar asset within a decade, a decade I, and a I half. I think a lot of people knew, seemed like it felt agreed, like it was inevitable that Bitcoin would take off, you know, assuming it didn't get hacked or whatever, right? Like <laughs> all the things that seem kind of silly to say now back then weren't because Bitcoin hadn't been running as long. Um, but I, I think people could see Bitcoin rising like that, like, a multi-trillion dollar asset it didn't seem unrealistic i think the timeline is really what shocked most of us uh i'm sure there's some people that were like no i knew it would happen this fast i i definitely wasn't one of them but i think it's because i just 
I just didn't fully grasp just how powerful Bitcoin was because I came into it for the the freedom aspects and and stuff. But like, there's so many facets to Bitcoin that it's like it's really hard to get a full grasp of, of like what Bitcoin is until after many years. And even then, it's like I mean, who really understands Bitcoin? Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things where you kind of think you know in the beginning. It's like that uh, the classic curve, right? Um, and uh, then you realize how how little we do know, and you just continue to be a lifelong learner. What was like your inflection point from the beginning about like kind of moving to New Hampshire or you know being pro you know freedom anti government? Was this something that you were raised on, or you kind of found in your your young adult life? back in the 2000s so i i mean i'm in my 40s now so like i'm i was one of the later gen x kids uh and i always i grew up with a pretty anti-authoritarian streak like i was very anti-authoritarian but i was also like not stupid about it where i would just want to get in trouble and stuff like that i was a little more i was always more sneaky about it but i didn't i never liked being told what to do my family's greek greeks are have it you know they have a pretty good uh history of being pretty fucking stubborn <laughs> that's definitely in my genes like i'm very stubborn when i need to be and and i i don't like i don't like authority i don't like being told what to do and as a kid that manifests into like you're kind of like a reject right like you're an outsider or whatever i know it sounds kind of lame but like you're, i was a nerd right i was a, i was a fat nerd and uh, i didn't really fit in stuff so i don't know like you look at you look for alternatives right grow up listening to punk rock music uh, a lot of ska in the 90s things like that like just just had a different outlook on life and i remember watching even as a kid watching like uh the first golf war on tv in like the early 90s just seeing that as like a as like a, a little kid like my you know, 10 12 years old or whatever i don't know man something just feel weird like i'd watch stuff like that or i'd watch like remember watching waco when it was unfolding on tv and it just didn't feel right and like hearing the media it's not to say like i understood something was off or like I knew that I was being lied to or whatever. It just, it just felt off. Like it just didn't, didn't look like, like something was fucked up about it. Right. Even if you can't quite put your finger on it. And it's like, you kind of live like that. Like most of your life, and you kind of try to fit in as you get older. Cause you have to, cause you got to work a job. You got to pay your bills, all that dumb shit. Right. Uh, and then with like Ron Paul, it kind of just was like hearing him speak at the, those debates in 20, uh, 2007. It's like all those little shattered pieces, all those thoughts I had in my head just like put together and it was like, holy shit, it all makes sense. <laughs> like this guy's insane, right? Like this guy's saying exactly what I've been thinking. Uh, he's just put it all into like into words that like I haven't been able to like fully process, I guess. He said he said what everyone was thinking out loud um, on a political yeah. stage, which is pretty cool. And I think that, yeah, that primed a lot of people. But still like you know it's it's pretty incredible to to be such an early adopter um of bitcoin and and there's still a lot of you know gold bugs who kind of like dismissed it for so long and really we're on the same team that's what you know people need to understand and that's how i've thought about about it more recently it's like not like this gold versus bitcoin thing or precious metals versus bitcoin thing it's like this you know it's it's fiat versus um everything else and obviously you know bitcoin is is not crypto but still it's uh the the main enemy is definitely fiat and i'm curious getting into that like what were some of the crazy pain points early on like mount gox like were there how many moments were there where you were like wow this might be over or you know really deep pitted stomach and then probably by 2017 i'd imagine you're kind of immune and you're like yeah this is kind of just what happens here and and the last you know uh drawdown was probably just like you're like yeah this is what happens um yeah i think uh, there were a lot of moments like that i think the ones that really stick out are just almost laughable now but just just to get an idea where i was by like 2012 because this kind of all plays into that question um as I was using Bitcoin in 2012, I was getting more and more obsessed with it. And I, I'm, you're probably, you could probably relate to this. Like when I get involved in something, I just want to get a hundred percent in there, right? Like I just wanted to completely consume my life. And that's basically where I was at with Bitcoin by like halfway through 2012. So that's when I was just like moving towards like hundred percent Bitcoin income and working in the industry. And that's, I started working at BitInstant. Um, so working at BitInstant, I, when I was in the office, I was working remote and I also go into the office in, in uh, Manhattan. Uh, there were some moments like that. Like I had to work with Gox 
working at BitInstant because we would we allowed people to buy Bitcoin with cash at drugstores, right? This is Charlie Schramm's company, right? Like, and this is before any regulations in Bitcoin were really there. So people would just go in, they would use the red phone, the the MoneyGram phone. They would MoneyGram up to 300 bucks to this company called ZipZap. Once they confirmed they got the money, we would send the Bitcoin to the user. And I handled support, tech, technical issues with anything, whatever. Um, and I got to work with Mel Cox and it was, it was a train wreck. Like I remember seeing, like at the time I had all my funds in Cox, hilariously enough. Uh, but working for a bit instant and seeing how much of a shit show Gox was, I was like, okay, I gotta get out of this. Right. And that's, we moved to like paper wallets or whatever we had. That was the best at the time. Um, but yeah, there were some scary moments for sure. Um, with when they i mean when they completely went under i that was one of the craziest bear markets 2014 that, that to me is like the the worst of the worst bear markets but i i never had any real doubt in bitcoin i just because i was working in the industry and by 2013 my wife was too we were working together at at the time blockchain.info we were the first two employees and we're getting paid in bitcoin so it's like when all this crazy shit happened and the price dumped it's just like oh cool we just get more bitcoin now all right and we're already, we're already pretty frugal, so it's like whatever. We just live off of what we need, and that's about it. But working in the industry really helped with not having to worry too much about like crazy moments in Bitcoin. Really, like where, where you just like you're not sleeping over it, or you feel like it's gonna. You, you have like crazy doubt. Um, I feel like it would have been a different experience if I wasn't working in this industry, especially with my wife. Like that really helped. But. There, there's. If you want to hear something really dumb, the one one of the moments that freaked me out the most was when somebody released this, and I think it's still around. But they released like this website where they they claim to have um, cracked Bitcoin, and it was every private key, allegedly, right? Like somebody was just generating private keys and posting in plain text and making it look like you know, there was pages and pages of it, and they were trying to make it look like it's every private key. And this is when I was early in Bitcoin, and I was so dumb, and I was freaking out. But I couldn't get them. I was thinking, like, I got to sell my Bitcoin now before this whole thing comes down. And then, like, I was talking to my roommate about it. And he was like, he explained to me how stupid I was. And I'm like, oh, OK. Like, I didn't, I didn't even get it at the time. That's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. I, like, it's uh, it's funny the first kind of crazy drawdown you experience as well. And <clears throat> I mean, I've become immune to it. Now, now you know, when you're a real Bitcoiner. <clears throat> when you're happy that the price goes down. I mean, I tell everyone yeah. that, like, like you just said, right? Like the opportunity to stack cheap sats is like all you want really. Cause you know, you know, what's going to happen, you know, long-term, like there's only one outcome. So that's when I started realizing, you know, that's, that's what I want. And I just want more opportunities. So I, I bet if you're working in the industry and you're able to kind of understand the dynamics, you're, you're even more so kind of like, yeah, okay, well, Look at look. I was here at five dollars or whatever. You know, this is not going anywhere. It's just temporary pain. And here's an opportunity potentially of a lifetime. Yeah, and I was working customer service, so I'm just talking to people and helping them, right? So I can clearly see tickets coming in every day, all the time. And it's like people are still using Bitcoin, so I guess it's not dead, right? They're still using this thing. Uh, who was buying Bitcoin back then? Like, who was like in customer service? Like, who's who's a typical? like customer like was there any kind of sense to that like any kind of average personality uh well i also used um and most part was like nerds i'm sure they had a lot of people that were using silk road too at the time um you know before it was shut down uh but i think it was mostly just like nerds uh early on really like liberty oriented nerds i, I remember going like one of my first meetups where i walked in and i'm like oh my god this it's not a room full of libertarians it felt so weird i was like it's a bitcoin thing and there's like business people here like what the what the fuck is going on <laughs> it's just whack it was, it was strange but uh i did a lot of local bitcoins too because since i was getting paid in bitcoin so i would meet i met a lot of people in person uh that i sold bitcoin to back then was that ever sketchy yeah. ever uh, no not really I, because I always made sure it would be like, okay, if I'm going to meet them, we'll just meet inside Starbucks, or we'll go to like a grocery store's food court, or what you know, they have like those food things inside, and I would yeah. just be like, we'll just meet somewhere where there's a bunch of people, and it's not sketch at all. And I had low limits; I wasn't selling large amounts because, 
I already saw like feds or whatever states were trying to bust people for whatever money laundering, I guess. I, I don't know. Like they, they had all kinds of things. So it's like just do small amounts. But no, I didn't. I, I didn't really meet any sketch people. I had a couple of people that I pretty sure they were using it to buy drugs, uh, but they never said anything because that's another thing. Right. If somebody said like, oh, I can't wait to buy drugs with this or whatever, <laughs> I'd be like, OK, I'm not selling this to you because you're, you're clearly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if you're a cop. Uh, yeah, that, that's crazy. I mean, that's smart as well. But it's just funny because it's a completely different dynamic. I mean, like people listening in. And again, if you have questions, we'll, we'll, we'll do a Q&A at the end. But people listening in that maybe just kind of joined the Bitcoin space or maybe even just recently in the past year, or even the past few years, it's just like a completely different dynamic yeah. than it is today. It kind of sucks in a lot of ways because getting your um, non-KYC sats was easier back then. And now it's, now it's a lot yeah. harder, which really sucks. Like that to me is part, like peer-to-peer Bitcoin transactions, everyone should do one where you buy Bitcoin for somebody from somebody with cash. Like it's just the best way to, to buy Bitcoin. If you're going to buy it or earning, it's my favorite way to accumulate, but if you're going to buy peer to peer cash, that's just every, every time I help a cousin or an aunt or whoever, any kind of friend or family member with Bitcoin stuff, I always give them a cold card. I have like a whole stack of new ones. I give them one and then I sell them Bitcoin with cash at spot. And it's like, here you go. This is the best experience you're going to ever have buying Bitcoin. Next time you want to do it and you want to use an exchange, it's going to suck, you know? Yeah, it's spot on. We talked about that at our Wyoming Bitcoin meetup this past weekend. And we were all just kind of like trying to, yeah, get more non-KYC peer-to-peer. We're like, we need to get back to this. Like, this is the core principle. And we'll get into like, you know, the ETF and everything and how that it completely changes the entire landscape, the premise, the point, really, of, of Bitcoin. Um, but you mentioned the hardware while it's cold card, like what, obviously you remember when that like first came out, like what, what was it like kind of in the early days of, of self-custody hardware wallets? And yeah, obviously we've come a long way and I think we've almost not solved it, but there's so much great education, information and options now out there that it's, uh, it's a lot better than maybe even four years ago. Yeah. So, I mean, when I did support at blockchain.info, that was a, that was a hot wallet, you know, and that's where it was a non-custodial hot wallet. So people would log on to the website, generate a user ID, uh, and then blockchain.info would store the encrypted wallet on their server, but uh, decryption happened in the browser. So it was, if the user lost their password, basically the the funds were gone because blockchain.info didn't have access to the wallets. Uh, And that seemed like an okay way at the time to to do stuff, but like, because there was no hardware wallets. Um, Trezor did their Kickstarter. They actually did a Kickstarter for the first Trezors. Uh, and that was like summer of 2013. And then they shipped like a year later. Uh, and I got like, I got a couple of the first edition ones. It was pretty cool. Uh, and those were so great. But like when I started at blockchain.info, I can remember the, our first staff meeting, which was just myself, Roger Veer, and the, the CEO and the, the founder or the founder of the company, Ben Reeves. Uh, I talked about like, yo, these guys are working on this hardware wallet. Like we could have it so people could use that on our site. And like they could choose the, our website is like a watch only and the keys could be stored in the hardware wallet. Like this would be really cool. Uh, they never went with it, but like when I got my Trezor in the mail in 2014 and I used that thing, uh, it seemed like a game changer. Like it completely changed. It, it made it so much easier to hold Bitcoin because before that, what were we doing? If you wanted like offline storage, and I'm sure smarter people had better ideas, but like what the pleb thing would have been to do is to make paper wallets. So you would have to have an offline computer, and a printer, an offline printer, and you would print a bunch of private keys. You could use like BIP38. Yeah, BIP38 was like a way to encrypt the private keys. Or is it 39? It's one of those. I always, I always get this. It's 39. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I always get this. Yeah, th- yeah, I always get it mixed up. <laughs> but the one, yeah, it was saying encrypt, uh, your private keys would be encrypted with a passphrase. So you would need the passphrase to, yep. whatever, right? Like, So you would print off a bunch of these and then you would have these pieces of paper with all these private keys on them, and then you could use them to deposit and send. It would have like the QR code for sending and receiving, QR code for private and public, and you would store those. Like that was, you know, up your backup essentially, because that's what it is. It was the actual private keys, and then uh, you'd have to find. Like, what are you gonna do with this computer and printer now? Well, I guess I'll just destroy it. <laughs> I don't want. I don't want any record of these. Uh, this generation. It's so stupid, right? This is dumbass ways to 
potentially use your, lose your Bitcoin because you screw up somewhere. Uh, and Trezor really fixed that. Like they, they were very innovative at the time. Like we we needed that in Bitcoin badly. Were they the first? So they were kind of like the first. I don't remember exactly, but they were the first ones to ship a hardware wallet. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, it's uh, again, I think even today, right? Like, just like trying to get my mom to self custody. It's like such a challenge. And before that, before the hardware wallets, like, yeah, everything you just mentioned, that it's just too much. But I mean, now that we have all this kind of new on ramps and exchanges and everything, like, like what percentage of people that own that Bitcoin exists will be self custodied, like in the future? Like, I feel like this percentage is going to keep going down and down and down, especially with the ETFs. And is that a concern to you? um for like regulation legislation and yeah how do you think about the future of kind of self-custody and and really um how that's going to be kind of maybe waning as as we have the etfs now i think what's concerning to me is that people don't like personal responsibility or they like it less and less uh maybe maybe that's not fair to everybody because maybe some people are like hey look i don't know how to manage my bitcoin like this is this is beyond my understanding. Like I may be like this super smart guy in this other field, but like, I just don't get Bitcoin. I want somebody else to handle it. And that, that's fair, I guess. Right. Like as Bitcoiners, we're like, well, you should learn and self custody, blah, blah, blah. But then you know, some people it's like, they don't got time for that shit, I guess. And whatever. So I, I don't know. Like, I agree. I think it's, I think self custody is going to go down more as, but as more people come into it that aren't, they're not like us, right. They're not going to be hardcore Bitcoiners. Maybe they're, accumulating bitcoin because it's just that's what you do now with your portfolio right you have a percentage of it in bitcoin whether it be etfs or whatever so to them it's just going to be another thing on their 401k kind of thing right where they're just like i don't care as long as the number keeps going up right uh so there's going to be people like that just as there were people who when i was getting into you know when i was in the bitcoin early on people who were getting into it to make money later you know 2013 they were just they all they gave a shit about was making money and that was that was foreign to me too but uh I guess it is kind of concerning though still, but I don't know. Like I'm going to continue to self custody. I'm not really worried about regulations and stuff. Cause like if I can't use my Bitcoin for the transactions, they say I'm not supposed to make then I, then Bitcoin's pretty much failed. Right. This episode is brought to you by Wyoming based my new apparel company that is focused on providing high quality natural fiber based products using 100% us supply chains. Our first two products, the 100% wool everyday beanie and 100% wool rib sweater are proudly made right here in Wyoming using local wool. The wool is low itch, high quality and durable, naturally antimicrobial and way better for your health and the health of the planet. If you want to support a local U.S. brand and are tired of supporting woke outdoors companies that shill plastics, Check us out at wyomingbase.com and pre-order your sweater and beanie today. Yeah, no, spot on. Like, but but then it get, does get into the non-KYC component is is pretty important um, to a certain degree. But yeah, if you can if you can have a circular economy, the the biggest concern always is you know the fiat on and off ramps, right? So it's like depends how much. Like, say they start banning self custody and you know, your local rancher can't, doesn't accept Bitcoin for payment. Um, you know, you're kind of in a tough squeeze and I know you're, you're big on that. So, you know, how do we, how do we solve that? Is it just more education and growing the circular economy, um, and getting more people on board just in the right amount of time before that happens? Or what's the other, what's the other alternative? Well, I mean, if if Bitcoin's still the best form of money, even if it's outlawed, people are still going to use it. Right. It's like those those videos you see of fireworks going off in New York City on the Fourth of July, where you know fireworks are banned, and it's just like neighborhoods just lit up <laughs> like the daytime at night. You know, it's like people are still going to do it, right? So maybe education is a part of it, but if if the dollar really sucks and they're not allowed to use Bitcoin, they're probably still going to use Bitcoin, especially for peer to peer stuff. Like like you mentioned, a rancher. I've been buying my beef with Bitcoin for a while, and uh, I got a great ranch rancher now. And, they're super Bitcoin savvy, uh, but I think I think in general ranchers, farmers, they get it, man. They they get fucked by the government so hard 
uh, on so many different levels. Uh, and then they hear about Bitcoin and it just, I think it clicks with them, right? People like to think of farmers as dumb hicks, but like <laughs> they're some of the smartest people I've met. Yeah, no, it, the, the biggest hindrance typically with them is just the, the UI UX, um, and kind of just like some of them don't even have an online bank account and, you know, they're like, what's this magic internet money? And I'm like, no, no, it's like, this is good. Like, you're going to like this, like, trust me. And, uh, that's why, I mean, that's why I try and (laughs) give them a copy of my book or something just to get them started. But they, they're, I've found actually the biggest hurdle is they're typically, just too damn busy and they're doing so much um because they're they're now have to be the rancher the farmer the marketer and sell direct to consumer and it's a that's the that's the byproduct of fiat money right but they're also they're the hardest working people like they do a job i love my ranchers man and i'm so great like i thank my ranchers every single time i'm like i love you so much because it's like you're doing you're you're providing my food. I eat a carnivore diet. I've eaten one for like over five years and it's like, you keep me alive. Like I, I love you. <laughs> you know, like thank you for doing this work that I do not want to do at all. Yeah. Get it. Maybe we get into that a little bit. Like how did you kind of come upon that and, and how has Bitcoin changed your, your perspective on, yeah, kind of everything else. Yeah, obviously you're already pro freedom in, in a lot of ways and, and taking personal responsibility, living like a proof of work lifestyle, but you know, how has that shaped your life even more recently and like things like diet, health and, and other aspects? Oh, yeah. I mean, so I was I was a fat kid most of my life and I grew up, like I said, my family's Greek and my my dad grew up dirt poor. My mom didn't have as much either. But like uh, they came to America and, you know, they did what Greeks do and build a diner. Right. My dad had a donut shop diner. So I grew up in there and it's like for him to be able to feed me was like an accomplishment. Right. But of course, I was just eating absolute garbage all the time although his donuts were fried in lard <laughs> i will say that so it's like at least they were fried in lard. That's yeah nice. yeah but i mean that's just how it was back then you know <laughs> they were fucking good uh trust me i ate a lot of them uh but yeah so i was a fat kid and then i went i was like no no fat person is happy with being fat like you don't want to be fat so you just think of different ways and it's like you listen to what the government tells you about food you're i'm a kid like i don't know like i'm not a, we didn't have the internet to look all this shit up back in the the 90s so it's like i'm just doing like oh okay well let high fat diet's bad so you know you got to go low fat so you're trying these things and i went vegetarian for a long time i mean i was vegetarian from like my late teens until 30 and i just wasn't just wasn't ever happy my weight was always you know i'm like six one six two and i was always like 250 260 pounds like just not, and i just wasn't happy right i was miserable so I actually found out the diet stuff. 2011 was a magical year. Okay, like by the end I was into Bitcoin, and at the start of 2011, I went on like a keto diet, which at the time we were calling it, we were calling it like the libertarian diet because everyone, all the free staters in New Hampshire, just embrace the paleo keto style diets, right? And all these fat people were just shedding all this weight. <laughs> so I was like, hell yeah! So I joined, I joined that crowd. I started eating meat again, and I cut sugars. And I dropped down to like, you know, I was, I, I dropped like 50 pounds within like the first couple of years, which was, which was awesome. I felt so much better. And then I switched to like a more carnivore style diet, which I've been doing consistently for like five years. Uh, and I just find it, it's just, it's just a better way to live, right? Like I just feel so much happier and healthier. And, and I feel like if I hadn't done that in 2011, in early 2011, I don't, I feel like I wouldn't have had the, uh, the mental capacity to grasp Bitcoin. Like I needed to be eating meat again before I could uh, grok Bitcoin, at least on a basic level. Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of like applying the principles to to all aspects and then realizing the system has fucked us on all levels, right? Like, you know, our food is completely fiat food. That's actually a new book now, right? I, I, I should probably go read yeah. that, but it's... um. It's it's all connected, right? And it's all we did a podcast today with with Rob Wolf, who's like the OG uh, yeah, Rob Wolf. guy. Of course, and yeah. He, we uh, we didn't even talk about food that much. We just talked about like the the centralized systems. We talked about Bitcoin, and we talked about kind of you know how he you know sees the sees the picture and how this is unfolding. And it's really a tragedy because people just don't realize that they've outsourced the quality of their life to these systems and yeah like you said in the 90s like you didn't even have the ability to understand that you're just getting screwed like people just listened 
to what was told, you know, the food pyramid and the American Dietary, American Heart Association, like they had big sway, which is why it's kind of almost encouraging now that almost nobody trusts these people anymore, uh, at least in my echo chamber, our echo chamber here, like way more percentage of people are like, well, maybe not because maybe since the Heart Association has been formed, our heart disease has only gone up. So, well, you know, again, you guys don't really have a good track comes, record. It here. comes back to proof of work. People love to point to studies and, and like, oh, look at the study and all this other <clears> stuff. <throat> and then it's like, okay, look at me. I ate this way and now I ate this way. And you're going to, it's like, I, I think to me, it's like seeing people eating meat and living healthy lives and looking beautiful and great. Like after looking like shit from eating what the government told them to eat, it's like, okay, so which one's better, you know? And then your medical experts all, you, know, you go to a doctor and they look like shit and they're telling you, Oh, you need to take statins or whatever, you know, like, <laughs> it's just like, uh, I don't know, man. I think. Yeah. The sh show me the study is like the classic. Right. And it's hilarious because even today the, you know, some of the carnivore and, and the, the biohacking experts, they still are so, and don't get me wrong. I post research papers all the time, but they are so conflated with like biased information. I mean, who is funding all the studies? Like scientific academia is, it's been captured like the NIH and big pharma. And these are all isolated controls. Like, you know, if Mandrick and I ate the same, you know, rough diet, but have completely different lifestyles and locations and genetics, like you can get different outcomes there. I mean, you know, I could be outside all day, you could be indoors all day or vice versa. And if the food's the same, you know, that's a study outcome. So there's, they're not controlling for any variables. They're totally biased in terms of funding. And then you just get these people that like, that's all they point to. And there's no logic. And like you said, there's no anecdotal proof of work. And uh, I think the truth is finally starting to, to, to resonate, right? It's, it's starting to seep through pretty, pretty strongly. Thanks to, thanks to platforms like X and Twitter. And, and, um, even though they try and censor other ones, um, I think we're all doing a, a pretty damn good job of, of getting the word out there. No, I, I totally agree for sure. Yeah. So what, um, what are I going to say next? It's just, um, you know, what do you see kind of unfolding here, right? Like in the next, the next few years, because I, we have this, you know, increased sovereign movement. Uh, we have more people taking control of their health, their wealth. We have even, you know, politicians, whether you think they're controlled opposition or not, um, people talking about things like Bitcoin, people talking about the importance of fixing, you know, sick care systems and, and ending big pharma and, you know, punishing people that have wronged us. But to me, it's, it's really this dichotomy and we have this alternative system that we're trying to build um, with Bitcoin and, and, you know, localized, decentralized food and health. And then we have the, the main system. And I'm curious on your take on like how we, how this transition happens, what, what's the best way for it to happen ideally and now that and then we can get into, you know, how the whole Bitcoin landscape has changed with with BlackRock and, and Fidelity and the ETF. Yeah, so I think um, I'm, as far as like, what do I see in the next few years? Uh, I'm, I'm pretty negative on like big, big picture or just like, I don't know about big picture, but like government stuff and just. I don't know. There's a lot of things I'm like negative on humanity about, but when I look at like Bitcoiners, I'm like never been more positive in my life about it. So like the things that I can affect and have a, a positive impact on, I'm like super positive on those things. And and seeing Bitcoiners at gatherings and uh, conferences, and you know they're they're having families and they're they're doing all the right things, right? Like eating well and becoming more self reliant, things like that. I'm so positive on that. And that to me is like way more powerful than, but you know, when I look at like government and politics and stuff, I don't really see much positive there on that, on that front, you know, with you now with like the whole Iran shit going on again, it's looks pretty bad, but I, I don't really like focusing on those things. I like, I like to focus on more positive things that actually matter that I can have an influence on. So that's, you know, that's really what I try to do like with my own personal health or, you know, with my family and things like that. Control what you can control. I mean, that's, that's the best way to go about it. And who knows, right? Like, who knows what's going to happen? Uh, but having a doomer, doomer mindset is, is not, <laughs> it's not good, right? Like, it's not healthy. And it's not, like, you're not going to do anything 
by having that sort of attitude. And, and that's why I appreciate people like Marty Bant saying we will win. Like we yeah. will win. Like we're on the right path, folks. Like we're, we're doing some good stuff. We're getting more and more people on board. We're getting more people with boots on the ground, creating companies, creating solutions, creating opt outs that are actually going to empower other people to, you know, leave the system. And eventually if enough people leave the system, you know, the fiat Ponzi scheme comes crashing down. When does that happen? I don't know. How does it unfold? Is it going to be pretty? I mean, it's not going to be like, you know, this, this, this elegant thing and everyone's just going to be lovely about it. It'd probably be ugly. But if you have kind of a sovereign life, potentially it's a, it's a non-issue for you, but you never know. And, and that's what I try to focus on. And having that multi-generational mindset is, is really the key because like you said, we're having, you know, we're the ones having like families and eating healthy. So it's almost, I think about it as almost a natural balancing mechanism, right? Like this is nature's way of like ridding the earth with, with people who are, who are, have a poisonous lifestyle and mindset. Yeah. And a lot of those people aren't even having kids and they're pretty negative and exactly. And, uh, you know, I interact with some people like that still. And it's just, it's kind of a downer, right? Like, it's like, I don't really want to interact with this person. Like, what am I doing? Cause they're just so negative on everything. They don't have anything to like look forward to or to live for right like it's kind of sad and they just they take they they feel that way about like humanity as a whole or you know everything in the world i don't know man that's it's a bad way to live it's a reflection upon themselves as well because they they really don't have anything that you know is is fulfilling in their life because they they've outsourced their happiness to you know low dopamine kind of quick dopamine hits and uh now they're they're stuck they're stuck with the repercussions of that but anyone can turn it yeah. around right like that's the beauty of this and pretty much all of us have like no one just waltzed into bitcoin or into like decentralized health and you know it's typically they got there because you know shit was going on in their life and they had to fix it or you know they had like years and years of building upon this and then it kind of just made sense but you know, that's the proof of work of it. It's just like, there is no, there's no people who just got the easy way. And even, you know, people talk, talk smack about folks like you. Oh, you got lucky, right? Like you got into Bitcoin in 2011. It's like, this guy's diamond hands, right? Like he was so convicted with his opinion on Bitcoin. Like you deserve to have the Bitcoin that you do. And, and that's also conflated to some degree. Well, yeah, and most people who got in back then didn't stay in because it's just the logical thing to do when something goes up, you know, a hundred X or whatever is to take the profits, right? You sell it and you're, it's like, wow, you just made all this money. Like that's, that makes sense. But like, to me, it wasn't, since I didn't get into it to make money, it seemed like a no brainer. And I was like, I'll go down with the ship. Like, I don't give a shit. Watch, you know, we, we watched 80% drawdowns, you know, and sat there for months at that. And it's like, I don't care. I'm just stacking more sets. <laughs> you know, like that's just how it was. Uh, it just, it requires, definitely requires a level of autism for sure. Right. Like, but it, there's a lot of elements. You, you can't say there is some luck to it because it's like, oh, you're lucky you didn't have some kind of screw up where you lost your funds or whatever. There's a million things that could have happened. And, or you're lucky you didn't have a medical emergency where it's like, okay, now you have to pay for all this medical treatment. You know, there, there, there is like elements of luck to it like that. But like, ultimately, anybody who was like, I wish I got in 2011, it's like, yeah, you just would have sold 2013, like 100%. That's what most people did because that, that's what you're raised to do, right? You're raised to be safe about it, have a diversified portfolio, all that, all that shit, blah, blah, blah. But sometimes it's like, Hey, you know what? I just want to, I want to say, I want well, all in on something and like faith in everything. Like I put everything into something and if it goes to zero and I got to start over, it's like, I'd rather do that than miss this opportunity. Right. And that's, you don't get a lot of chances like that. Like, I don't think. That, I mean, that's spot on. And I try and tell people that, I mean, I'm thinking about, I'm probably going to sell my house and so I can buy more Bitcoin right now. And people are like, are you crazy? Like, it's such a good investment property. I'm like, you don't get it. Like, <laughs> you know, like this, this is a once in a chance, once in a lifetime opportunity. And yeah, like this isn't a, a stock, right? This is money. Do you diversify like the US dollar? No, you, you don't. So <laughs> people... You know, there's different stages for everyone, and I'm happy to get even some people just owning Bitcoin. But it's it's just hearing you say these things. It's it just resonates so strongly with me because yeah, that's why I love talking to Bitcoiners and going to meetups and things like that because it just makes sense and we we get it. But 
most people are not. And that's why most people won't reap the rewards of it. I mean, if they already have extreme wealth and, you know, they have 10% of their portfolio, like, yeah, but they also put in some fiat proof of work before to, to get to that level. Maybe they inherited it, but still it's uh it's just different. And I'm going to ask you maybe, do you think this is kind of the last time that people can really create generational wealth um, before this next potential bull run? Because that's kind of a lot of uh, people's opinions. Yeah. And I think it might be uh, true. You know, I really, I like, <laughs> I love reading predictions and I like making them, but I also acknowledge that whenever I make them, it's just a complete guess pulled out of my ass kind of thing. Like, oh, yeah. But it's still fun sure. to me. Like, it's kind of like, I, it's like the horoscope element of Bitcoin. I don't know. I kind of dig it, even though I know it's bullshit. <laughs> like, uh, so I don't know, honestly. Like, I, I could see that, but I, I still have a hard time imagining a million dollar Bitcoin, even though I know it's going to happen. Like, I feel pretty confident that's going to happen. Like, there's not really much doubt in my mind about Bitcoin's success at this point. Uh, it's still for me. It's like, imagine that happening in the next couple of years doesn't seem possible at all, and I don't think it will. And I, so I don't think this is the last chance, but like, I would love to be proven wrong. But at the same time, at what cost does that come? Like, is that, if that comes at the cost that like, we see a lot more hyperinflation in the world and things like that, like, that's not really what I want, right? I want people to have more time to snack sense. And I, I honestly, I hope they're not running out of the time. I think that's ultimately why I don't think it, it'll happen as soon. Like, because part of me just wants people to keep stacking, right? Like, I don't want BlackRock to get all the Bitcoin. I want, you know, I want my neighbors to start stacking while it's still cheap. Well, that's the, that's definitely the dilemma I have as well. And there are folks that are like, you know, the rip the bandit off quick and, and get this over with. And I don't know if I agree with that. And then I also have my selfish intuition as well being, you know, somewhat relatively young is I want to keep stacking sats as well. And um, I, I kind of agree with you. But then I also I'm like, BlackRock is going to just, you know, get all this Bitcoin, like probably very, very at a good pace here. You know, they already are. And in the in the approval window that we have so far, and it's kind of inevitable, but it's a big concern to me. And I, yeah, million dollar Bitcoin, maybe further out. I think people underestimate how long it takes for like geopolitical situations and kind of just large you know, moves on a landscape. It's it is gradually, then suddenly, but that gradually can take a long ass time. So yeah, we we really don't know, but I'm kind of on the same page with you in in, in that capacity. Yeah, it, you just kind of you want people to have more time for sure, but you also realize time's probably running up. So it's like, oh god, would you guys start stacking, <laughs> please? So what? It, yeah, and and. Everyone who's listening in, thanks for joining us. This is Decentralized Radio Live with Mandrick. We're going over the Bitcoin landscape for the past decade uh, and then some. With an OG Bitcoiner, if you have questions, we'll open it up shortly here. Request the mic and come up. But yeah, man, it is, um, it is sad. And especially for close friends and family when you know the outcome. But getting, I want to I talk specifically about the ETF. Are, are you positive neutral or negative on the situation why and um yeah maybe get into that yeah, so a i didn't bit. even know what an etf was until like a few years ago um i never i never really grasped traditional finance like trad was never my thing i i just didn't get it it never made sense to me no matter how much it was explained by my then financial advisor back in the day or my my ex-wife or whoever like i just it's never clicked bitcoin made way more sense to me so the idea of an ETF, when it's explained to me, I, I understand what it is, right? Like, probably couldn't explain it well, but I get it. Um, I don't understand why anybody would want to buy that. Like, uh, as I'm somebody who actually, I had a 401k. I just cashed it out, took the tax penalty. This is like 2013. And then I just, I used a little bit for some bills and I put the rest in Bitcoin. You know, like that to me, it was like, okay, whatever. I'll just take the tax penalty. There wasn't any real way to roll over. Uh, the IRA into some kind of Bitcoin thing back then. But even if there was, I wouldn't have done it because it's like, well, why would I let somebody else hold these Bitcoin in some weird fund that I can't access them? It's it's the same same way as like buying paper gold. Like I was a gold bug my entire life. My dad taught me about gold and silver when I was a little kid because he was he was a goldsmithing uh, apprentice in Greece. So like he had all this experience with it. So like to me, it was like, why would I want to own paper gold? I want the physical gold. Same thing with Bitcoin. Like I, 
I, so I'm not really, I'm not positive. I'm not, I, I just don't really care, I guess. Like I'm in that camp where it's like, to me, I'm like, it's kind of gross because it's traditional finance, but it's also, an, it was inevi- inevitable and it's probably long-term very positive for Bitcoin, like for a number go up, right? Like I get that. So it's like, cool if that happens, right? <laughs> but like, I mean, whatever, I, I don't know. I'm like the worst person on ETF stuff, probably. I mean, it's fine. Like, I think anybody's opinion is is really relevant because the way I see it is, it's it, it's an inevitable thing. It's it is kind of weird that we have this opportunity to like front run institutions for like so long. But at the same time, it is concerning that a very centralized institution is now going to be holding a, a lot of Bitcoin and you know, custodying with with pretty much one person, um, Coinbase, besides Fidelity. And, um, and Coinbase already had a lot of Bitcoin you, anyway, so <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So, but then you know, for the people who are like, you know, my grandma like would never self custody, and this is a good opportunity for her to get exposure, or you know, boomer parents and and all this. I I get it. You know, it's probably better to to have no exposure on an ETF than. Than just be fully fiat, but at the well, same if you time, want your parents to have Bitcoin. Why don't you just help them set up a hardware wallet, you know, and hold the backup of it or something for them? Like, there's a million things you can do. It's like you just got to put some effort in. I mean, that's what I've done for family members. That's very true. It is easier said yeah. than done, though. And I will say, like my, like for example, my dad is like he's just a boomer engineer. All his money is in retirement accounts, right? Like he's not very liquid. So that's yeah. where it becomes kind of a challenge. And and then there's so much adversion just from the social programming for, you know, forever that I it's just, yeah, I get fed up with it. I'm just like, all right, just, you know, buy the ETF. I don't, I don't know. It's better than nothing. But then at the same time, I am very concerned that, you know, potentially they're going to be this major holder and who knows what will come of that and, it is, uh, I guess, just it's the reality of the situation. So it is almost a, a, a neutral uh, for me at this point. Um, it'll be nice. Yeah, I guess it'll pump people's bags and, and whatever eventually. Um, it's, it's almost like just a signal. I'm like, okay, well, you know, this is just more affirmation that, you know, I'm in the right, I'm in the right thing here. But yeah, not a fan. But uh, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't really know what the implication of that will be with, with, uh, BlackRock, the Coinbase stuff, like all that, like I don't really know how that'll play out long term, right? Like it, it'll be, but it like it was inevitable anyway. So it'll be interesting to see what happens, and not just with price, but I just mean with them having like so many Bitcoin and all that. Yeah, like how does that mean like they're gonna try to affect? In, um, well, I guess they already, I guess they already lobby and stuff in the government. So it's like it, they'll be lobbying more pro Bitcoin type stuff, but. When they they'd probably be more in favor of KYC shit. Maybe they'd support things that are yep. you know self. They would go against self custody and things like that. Like I don't know. Is that is that coming soon? Well, I guess we'll see. I mean, it's already starting with Elizabeth Warren. That's right. Yeah. So that's the main concern I think people have. But um, again, just yeah, stacking some non KYC stats sats and and practicing proper self-custody and maybe not giving the government another reason to like come knock on your door is is probably a good idea and just kind of living a a quiet sovereign life is really the best you can do at at this point but how about the having you know are you in this camp that like having equals bull run or more so it's macro macro landscape that is kind of driving factors and and injections into the monetary i think i used to seriously believe the having wasn't priced in um because it's like everybody knows it's coming, right? But then it's like we have this whole meme of saying the having is, is not priced in, and then it happens, right? So it's like fuck it, it's like you just you just bring a meme to life, whatever. So we just I just like yeah, it's not priced in. Price is going to go up after the having, usually within you know the next year or whatever. That's when you would see the big price boom, right? Because there was a having in 2012 and then 2013, the price shot up, and then the having in in 2016. And, price shot up 2017 right so it's like <laughs> it's it's fun to i i, I think it's going to happen again honestly i really do like i believe it because i believe i said it as a joke for so long that i'm just like you know what i actually think because everyone thinks like oh, everyone's smart up they understand you know that this is going to happen but it's like people are fucking retarded right like they don't they're not paying either they're, they're dumb or they're not paying attention to this shit so it's like i don't know 
kind of rambling here with it but yeah it's like <laughs> no i mean it's spot on right like it's it is true it's it's uh and it's it's the psychological aspect of of markets right it's like it almost the same stuff happens like all the time and it's it's pure psychology but then you have its psychology layered on top of like monetary policy which is like this hidden layer and yeah, you kind of got like a, a multiplicative effect there and whatever the, the positive, if that's negative or positive, that's usually what happens. But it definitely has and, and it's typically the reaction to, to things as well. But yeah, it's it's pretty hilarious. It's whole, and it seems like we have strong tailwinds. Yeah, you know, it's the whole so like three green, one red meme, right? Where it's like you get the three, year, yep. three yearly green candles and the one red. And it's like, hey, man, let's just keep that meme going, right? Like I... I really think like I really think it's going to happen and I don't think it really makes any sense. Maybe there is somebody who can explain why it kind of makes sense, but I feel like there's a lot of haters who don't like this whole idea of it not being of Bitcoin having not being priced in and all these th- these crazy prediction stuff. I I don't know, but like <laughs> I guess it'll just keep happening until it doesn't, right? So we'll see, but I I don't know, man. I I feel like things just seem to line up every 4 years. I mean, up into the right is again. It's 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 inevitable unless the U.S. starts practicing sound monetary yeah. policy. Like that's the biggest <laughs> yeah, risk, that's, right? That's so, been like, the biggest risk that the, the the U.S. would be like, okay, we're going back on the gold standard. <laughs> Artificial blue light from technology is destroying our health. It disrupts melatonin production, sleep quality, and our circadian rhythms, which has been linked to pretty much all chronic disease. It also rewires our dopamine reward system, which makes it addictive by design. That is why I'm so thankful to have found the Daylight Computer, the first company in the world making a computer that has a blue light free screen. They use paper reflective screen technology, so it's blue light free, flicker free, eye strain free, and is easily used outdoors so you can use technology while getting the benefits of full spectrum sunlight. For more information, you can listen to our recent podcast with the founder of Daylight Computer, Anjan, on his incredibly inspiring story on why he wants to bring technology to the masses that is not detrimental to our health. You can go to buy.daylightcomputer.com slash dradio to pre-order the Daylight tablet today and begin using your technology in a fashion that's way more in line with our biology and nature. So unless that all of a sudden happens, I would say you're probably pretty assured that, and whether it lines up perfectly with having, like, you know, it's just kind of how how it's been playing out and probably how it's going to go. So the way I see it is the next six to 12 months, epic time to accumulate. If you, if you haven't been, you know, fully aping in, um, here you go. Here's maybe a, a good opportunity to to do so now, and and that's my sentiment. That's that's how I feel. Yeah, for sure. And I'm I'm not a big fan. Like I like the idea of dollar cost averaging, but I'm also one of those people where it's like, like I said, I when I get involved in something, I just want to totally get involved. So it's like at some yeah. point it starts like that, but eventually it's just like fuck it, everything's going in. Like this is like I'm going all in. I don't care. Yeah, now from a UTXO perspective, right? Like dollar cost averaging actually may not that's, be the best thing to do. That's huh? true too. That's a good point. <laughs> but maybe it's like one once a week is better than once a day, and once a month is like if it goes down a lot, you know, just just buy more. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> but 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 don't leave too much cash on the sideline either, yeah. right? So it's uh it's that that fine balance we all have. Well. Mandrick, last question maybe, and then we can open it up to anyone listening is, you know, what's been the biggest change that you enjoy and that maybe you don't enjoy from the Bitcoin, the greater Bitcoin landscape and community community kind of now here in 2024 compared to say 10 years ago, 12 years ago? Yeah, I like things, getting in on things on like the ground floor or like maybe the first floor or whatever, like it's kind of fun. I like that charming time period like when i started working at blockchain.info and i was the first employee my wife was the second like people aren't a big fan of that company anymore whatever like uh, i don't really have much of an opinion on them either but i'm a shareholder but like in those early days when it was just like a few people like there was like magic to it like i love that early startup thing and then when it starts growing and it's like now you gotta hire all these people and train them and do this job i'm just like yeah fuck it i'm out like that's it, to me it's like that loses a lot of it uh, so when I think about like Bitcoin in those early days, when it wasn't about making money, it it was so fun. Like it had this charm to it that 
I don't know. Like, it, it's hard to recapture that. Of course, I didn't leave Bitcoin when it, you know, to me, it's like Bitcoin's so interesting that I, I still love it. But I, I really like those early days where it was just, we were just using it as as a form of peer to peer currency, right? And I think that's why a lot of like B cashers are, are so pro B cash and not, and they, they don't like, they don't like Bitcoin anymore. They like B cash because it's still about that. I kind of get that, but it's also B cash is just <laughs> laughable at best. But I, I kind of get where they're coming from as somebody who kind of went through that. Like it was fun, but like you also have to realize like, yo, Bitcoin's going to change and the things that you think Bitcoin are like, actually it's not even Bitcoin that's changing. It's, it's us. That we are changing, right? Like Bitcoin doesn't mature. People just change and get an understanding of why they need Bitcoin. Um, Bitcoin's still the same punk rock, you know, go fuck yourself thing. So like, I like that. Like I, I've, I'm okay. Like watching things change in Bitcoin. Like to me, that's just inevitable. Um, and when I say things change in Bitcoin, I mean like new people come, different ideas come up and different uses. I, I, I don't know, like big, things are going to change like that way. And you have to just be okay with that in some ways. You can't just hold on to like, well, Bitcoin was supposed to be about this and blah, blah, blah. I don't know. Like I, I don't hold on to that kind of stuff. To me, it's like, yeah, it was great when it was like peer-to-peer transaction money. That's what we were using it for. But like store value makes more sense to me now after having used both right bitcoin for both reasons and i'm still cool with like peer-to-peer transactions like i said i pay my rancher in bitcoin like that's great but like the fact that you can save your wealth you you can and it can (laughs) you don't have to watch your money depreciate like when the dollar and even gold doesn't really hold its hedge against inflation anymore so it's like it's the best way to do that and you might accidentally make some money in the process like that's kind of cool right like how's that a bad thing and if you still want to use it for transactions you still can Yeah, I mean, it's a good summary, right? And even even the, I guess, the, the growth mindset, the kind of corporate landscape of, of that infiltrates Bitcoin, you know, eventually. So it, it's always fun, probably in the, those early days, kind of just getting a ton of things off yeah. the ground. And I mean, it's still exciting, yeah. right? There's still, you know, new companies and that, that's what's most important. And that's why I like to talk to people really. I think most people we podcast with in the Bitcoin space actually like run or like have Bitcoin companies or work in Bitcoin. Cause it's like that, that's what's really needed to keep driving this. Forward. I love, I love talking to Bitcoiners. I love going to meetups and stuff and meeting people who, you know, they, Oh, I just got in this year or, you know, I've been in it five years or whatever. It's always cool. Cause you can always connect with like people that have been in it for a long time. And, you know, you have a lot of like, Oh, remember when we lost all this money, our, our net worth dropped this much and ha ha ha. And all this crazy shit was going on. Like that's fun. But it's also cool to hear from new people. And how they got there, you know, they're why they're Bitcoiners now. And I've met so many cool Bitcoiners uh, from different, <laughs> all different years that they got into Bitcoin. And, and they're so positive. It's like so nice to hang around. Um, I really, I really like that. Like, I like, I like that positive vibe because it's like, I don't really want to be around negativity all the time. That's just not helpful. And I think, I think Bitcoin, Bitcoiners overall are super positive. Uh, when you, especially when you meet them in person, right? You got to go to meetups and stuff. You just have to. Uh, it's great to talk on Twitter and stuff like even on spaces. It's really nice, but nothing beats just hanging out in person. Well, I appreciate you coming on. We are live with Mandrick decentralized radio, and we're going to do this every Tuesday, either live on Twitter X or YouTube. And um, we also have regular podcasts coming out Fridays. Anyone have a question for Mandrick request the mic. Ask about Bitcoin, ask about baklava, ask about anything decentralized, and um, we will uh, approve you to come up. If not, thanks for, for tuning in. And um, and I haven't had baklava since 2011 either. I don't, <laughs> I don't need that. You haven't, you haven't eaten it, right? No, yeah, no. But you make it. You make it for special occasions, right? Uh, it's fun. It's fun to make, go to Bitcoin things, you know, and hand out like a little piece of history like that. It's, it's a good time, but like. Do you never break? You never break carnivore ever. Uh, I'm not the kind of person that can do moderation. I'm I'm an all in or nothing <laughs> kind of guy, so I can't like. Right now, I've just been trying to put on weight, build some muscle. Like I've been going really hard to the gym, and I'm just just trying nice. trying not to because winters usually kill me, and I'm just like this winter, you're you're gonna work out harder than you've ever worked. Like it, you got to go. Like you can't just sit there and and just like let winter get you down, kind of feeling. But like so that's been really good. But I'm just like eating tons of beef 
which is great. Like, there's nothing better than sitting down to like two pounds of steak and just just putting it away. You know, <laughs> it feels so good. It's impressive. <laughs> that is impressive, man. It is good. I mean, it's just like it feels good to embrace it, right? To embrace kind of like real food and and support that local ecosystem too. And I love that you're paying for your beef and Bitcoin, and you have for for a long time. Dude, like that's just yeah. the way we need to be. I give I give my favorite people the best money because there's one thing I value more than like obviously families at the top, right? But like as far as things are concerned, I value beef a lot more than I value Bitcoin. <laughs> like beef is way more important to me. <laughs> Well, you need to eat, right? Yeah, yeah. We need to eat food, water. Um, you know, you could deal with a little less Bitcoin, but it's that exchange of value for value that definitely, I mean, it strikes a chord, right? And that's what I was talking with uh, Rob from, from Alpha Bar uh, yesterday. And it's like the reason why all these Bitcoin, these companies that accept Bitcoin have such high quality products is because no one's going to pay you in Bitcoin if you have a shit product. Like it's, it's such a high exchange of value for value. And that's what we need to get back to. And then they also have, you know, reserve of Bitcoin. So they're not incentivized to just like completely debase a product, uh, you know, with the quality of ingredients. So it's kind of a win-win. And I'm just stoked to get more and more, you know, food producers and just companies like accepting Bitcoin and, and kind of driving that forward. And, and those small businesses, they get excited when someone pays them in Bitcoin. Like I say that from experience, right? Like as somebody who had a small business and when people would pay me, it's like, oh, cool. I'm getting another Bitcoin transaction. I, Everyone, I, I've I've purchased like so many different things with Bitcoin over the years. And people are always excited when you want to pay them in Bitcoin. Have you seen that change? Because like I personally have taken a stance of like this is very important to exchange value for value. But there's still a lot of people who are pretty greedy and will never you know pay anyone in Sats. But that that has changed quite a bit over the last couple of years. I would say. Yeah, I think to me it's like since I was the whole idea of going all in meant working and earning bitcoin it's like well i have to spend bitcoin right i gotta eat and i gotta pay bills and stuff so it just yeah that always remained right like that was always my goal was to live off the bitcoin standard it wasn't just to have a fiat job while buying bitcoin to me like i don't it's on paper it sounds the same earning bitcoin versus buying bitcoin but like to me it's like it's like a maybe it's more psychological or whatever but like i don't want to be paid in shit money i want to be paid in bitcoin that's just what I want. So when I was doing that, it's like I was still spending. I'm, I was more than happy to spend Bitcoin. But I get some people, it's it's not like that. So they, they'd rather use fiat. And that's fine, too. You know, I, I guess you use what uh, what you have um, pretty much. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's uh, I'm excited to see it grow. So, Magic, I appreciate you coming on. This is fun. Thanks, everyone, for for tuning in and check us out, Decentralized Radio. For more podcasts, we'll be back on here live probably next week or the week after on Spaces. Thanks, bro. Take it easy.